I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Something magical in your house 
It may be in your dining room. It could be in your kitchen. It could be on your patio outside, but there is something magical in your house. And because you know what my sermon is already, it's your table. The table is magic. It's the place where, where people gather to eat and to break bread, to share meals, and, and to, to put down their phones for 30 minutes, maybe just 15 minutes, to look each other eye to eye and to say actual words to one another. The table is magic. And it's been magic since humans were created and learned that their bodies needed food to survive and their spirits needed conversation and community to flourish. The table is magic. And 2,000 years ago when Christian community was being birthed, it was the table that, draw, that drew people together. In our passage today, we encounter Peter preaching. Peter, who was the head honcho, the disciple, the one who was sent to be the bedrock of the early church, the foundation stone of the church after Jesus was crucified and, and rose to be with God. And Peter in this story finally gets his wits about him. We're putting roosters aside now. We're putting denial aside. And finally, he gets up the courage and he enters Jerusalem and he preaches this incredible sermon. At the time, the Christian community was maybe about 130 people. Maybe about the number of us who gather at Knowles on an Easter Sunday across two services. And after he preaches this sermon, 3,000 people come to be a part of the community. Now, every single pastor that I know has read, who has read this story does one of two things. She's either read that story and then read the sermon again, trying to figure out what in the world do you say, what in the world do you do? to all of a sudden attract 3,000 people to your church. How can I preach like that? Or she'd have a reaction like me. Oh my gosh, what would I do if 3,000 people showed up to my church overnight? <laughs> the scripture today says it's, it's very simple. This is what you will do. You'll, you'll talk about the sermon, you'll pray, you'll, you'll sell your stuff, research study in Atlantic <coughs> Monthly a few years back, and this article um, was about how important, how powerful the table is. And in this article, he shared that the number one factor for parents raising kids who are healthy and intelligent and, and drug-free and kind human beings, the kind of kids we want to have, is frequent family dinners. The number one shaper of vocabulary for, for the youngest kids is, is no other activity or event but frequent family dinners, it showed. The number one indicator of success for elementary age students is frequent family dinners, it said. They said the variable that is most commonly associated with depression and suicidal thoughts among students 11 to 18 years old is the absence of frequent family dinners. If you want kids, the study says, who have fewer emotional and behavioral problems, who have greater emotional well-being, who are more trusting, who have healthy behaviors towards others and higher life satisfaction, the answer was frequent family dinners. The table is magic. I don't share these statistics, though, 
with you in order to make you feel nervous or, or, or guilty in some way. Maybe some of you are here calculating and counting up in your head how many times you have sat down at the table this last week. I share these statistics with you in order that you might feel a sense of hope because the research also showed that the table has the same effect if you're serving peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or hormone-free chicken and wine. It doesn't matter what you are eating. What matters only is that, that you're pulling a seat up at the table. And the research gives me hope because there are a million and one moments in my life where I feel completely inept at setting the table. There are, there are moments when I feel completely inept. There are moments when cooking a gourmet meal just seems entirely too much for me. And, but I can cook a frozen pizza and I might, I might actually chop up some veggies to throw on said frozen pizza. There are moments when, when I can't see my kitchen table because of the junk mail and the unfinished product projects on it. Your table's nothing like this. And I, I'm tempted to just eat on the couch because I can't see my table anymore. And so I just sit on the couch and I scroll through Facebook and, well, the people I'm with are not in the room or, or they're next to me and I'm not looking at them, listening to them. But, but what I can do is I can, in those moments, pack a picnic when my table's covered with junk and take it down to the patio downstairs and, and Chris and I can actually look at one another and, and speak to one another about what's happened in our lives for a few minutes and, and it's like something magical happens. It's like signs and wonders break forth in our relationship. It's, the table is magic. But we also have to remember that as Christians, family doesn't just mean the people who share our last name or, or our address. Family is is much bigger than us. And, and the magic of the table happens when strangers gather around it too. Today I want you to meet Derek Black. Just a few years ago, Derek Black was a rising star in the white nationalist movement. These are folks who believe that the white race is superior to other races and that races should be separated and people of color should be removed from the country. And Black learned this from his dad, probably sitting around his own kitchen table growing up. And Derek just drank um, in everything that his father said over many, many, many years. And so around 11 years old, he starts a website with these views for other kids who, who might want to learn from him. And he starts a radio show at age 16 for kids who believed like him to recruit more for this movement that his dad has given his life to. And as he grew up, Derek <laughs> decided that he was gonna go to New College in Florida. It's a pretty well-known liberal arts college, and Derek decides that he's gonna study medieval European history so that he could confirm why white people were superior and had always been throughout history. But Derek decided it probably wasn't a good idea to, to kind of be out and open with his views on the college campus, and so he kind of goes incognito into this, this new college. And, and he's not out in the open, but, you know, let's be honest, the internet exists. And so a few months into college, somebody found his radio show online, and somebody found his website online, going all the way back to when he was 11 years old, and this person posts, Derek's beliefs on the student message board on campus. 
And immediately, Derek is ostracized. Derek is threatened every day. He has to move off campus into an apartment by himself. Nobody would talk to Derek. And when they did, they obviously did not have kind things to say. Matthew, Matthew Stevenson talked to Derek. Matthew is sitting here at this table with Derek. Matthew was one of the only Orthodox Jews on campus at this same time. And Matthew wanted to hold Shabbat dinners on Friday night, but he didn't have anyone to, to eat with him. And so he invites everybody on campus. He would host these weekly dinners, these weekly Friday night dinners, and he would invite the entire community. And he said, anyone is welcome as long as you come and you eat my food and you allow me to pray a Hebrew blessing over this meal that I have prepared. And it was a motley crew of people, and, and there were Christians, and there were atheists, and there were black people and white people and Hispanic people, and anyone who was willing to come to the table came, and Matthew invited Derek. Now, there were friends of Matthew's who said, Matthew, like, you know you're Jewish, right? Like, you, like you get that. <laughs> like, you, like, you know you're, you know what these people think of Jews? You know you're Jewish. This, this might not be the best idea you have ever had. And he said, oh, well, maybe Derek has never met a Jewish man before. And so I'm going to invite him anyways. We'll see what happens. And, and Derek, Derek hadn't had any social interaction for months, any invitations into community for months. He was at a liberal arts college away from everything he ever knew. And so he accepted this invitation, kind of starving for community. And he shows up and he brings a bottle of wine with him. Do Jews even drink wine, he thinks. And, and he quietly listened and he, he shared when prompted a little bit about his story, but no one, no one asked him about his beliefs, his white nationalist beliefs, and everyone knew. And they just gathered around the table and they ate. And Derek came back and then he came back again and he came back again and he began to get to know the people around this table, Jewish and Christian and black and white and Hispanic, and they kept gathering and weird friendships formed and eventually someone became brave enough to ask Derek about his beliefs, asking him to, to clarify some of these things he had written, these horrible things they read on this, these websites. And he said, you know, I'm... I used to be so certain. I used to, he used to speak so fluidly, so, so effortlessly about this movement, and now his words were kind of jumbled. He said he, he no longer thought that whites were superior, but he thought maybe the races should still be separated, and maybe, maybe we're talking about a separate but equal thing here. Maybe, maybe they should be living in their own homeland, and well, maybe, maybe not force deportation, maybe like self-deportation. And, and he sort of talked himself in circles. And, and the more they gathered and the more they ate together, the more confused Derek became as all of that, all that he believed became dismantled by relationship. And then after he graduated in 2013, Derek wrote a public statement saying that he, he could no longer associate himself with the white nationalist movement. And he apologized for, for the harm his words had done. And he said that his whole outlook on people and life and relationships had been totally turned around, all because somebody invited him to have a seat at their table. This table's magic. It's like signs and wonders break out. Something happens when we're invited to a table and we put food in our bodies and we look at one another 
and we share conversation together. I'm, and I'm not telling you all this as something new, it's something that you already know. We believe this, ta this table is magic. It's why you show up here every Sunday. It's, it's why pretty much exactly three years ago now, I was appointed as your pastor here, and we had this gathering of sorts with the people who were, were kind of left over from, from the hurt and, and the grief, and, and, and y'all asked me one question. I remember it was only one question. You didn't care what, what I thought, where we were going, but you asked, you're not gonna take away weekly communion, are you? There are churches where pastors have to beg and plead and maneuver and be hated because they've gone from quarterly to monthly communion or from monthly to weekly communion. And y'all just get it. You've always gotten it. You said, don't take our table away because we need the practice here of what we might do out there. We need, we need the practice of being invited every week, of being reminded that we are all welcome if we are hungry, that, that the feast is waiting for us. All we have to do is come. That this feast is not for holy people, but for saint and sinner and for friend and enemy, for the person that you can't wait to see at church and catch up on life and the person you can't stand to see at church. We need the practice of confessing our sins every week before coming to the table, that spiritual washing of ourselves, before we look at one another and we listen to one another. You know the people around the table with Derek had their own sheriffs, their own sins to bear as well. We need the practice of coming forward with our hands open to receive and expecting that, that what we get at the table is going to actually fill us, fill us to overflowing. And we need the practice of hearing Every week, the body of Christ broken for you. Not, <laughs> it's not some foggy mass of people. It's for you, Naomi, and for you, Laureen. It's for you, very specifically you. And we need the practice of, of looking around and noticing that we don't look alike and we don't think alike and we don't dress alike, and yet there's room for this at the table for all of us. It's magic happens at this table and I, I think I don't know about you but I think the world needs a little bit of magic right now within the Christian calendar when we read the story in Acts 2 we a lot of times read it alongside another story you know well it's the uh, the story of the good shepherd um, Jesus as, as the shepherd the story of Jesus as our good shepherd reminds us that in a world that desperately needs a little magic these days we find ourselves like locked up sheep inside a pen. And, and we're locked up in our own fear of other people, our, our own assumptions that we know people when we don't fully know people, our, our tendency to make sure that we're locked up with the same kinds of people, with the right kind of people. And it's like a prison living that way. It's like a prison to be afraid of people like Derek. But Jesus, our good shepherd, comes today as the gate opener, right? Liberating us out of this prison. And he does that by saying, come. Very similar words to Peter. Come follow me. Do the things that I do. Listen to what's going on here. Come to the table. Listen to my voice and accept my invitation. Gather with me and I will help herd you to this table. And, and, and the world needs some magic right now. It needs a few people who are willing to show up at tables 
and invite other people to tables. Maybe even with people you don't want to run into at Target. Maybe, maybe that's the person you need to sit down with the most. Tell me about the table that you grew up around. And a whole new world opens up. Tell me about the table you grew up around. Was it, was it, was it joyful? Was it, was it silent? Was your table silent? Was it an empty table when you grew up? Tell me what, what gives you delight. Tell me what breaks your heart. Tell me what makes, what, what, what makes you tick. Tell me what wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning. There are, if, if I've done the math correctly, 21 meals between now and next Sunday. You could spend all 21 of those meals eating Chick-fil-A in your car, parked in a drive-thru, watching YouTube. Or you can make magic happen. What is Thank you.